0: ladies, um, my name's Claire and I'm from the Cordo Champions Charity and I'm here today with my colleague Vicky um, who is a Cordalquina patient like myself but also a charity trustee. Um, with us today we've got Kerry, Vidya Marla and Amala Deepa, who also have Cordalquina syndrome, but work with meditation and mindfulness to help other people and um, they're going to tell us a little bit about what they do today and hopefully we'll be able to offer it as a service to our patients and we can have a good chat about the benefits if that's okay with everybody. So Kerry would you like to introduce
1: yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm Kerry, um, I live in Bristol and um, so I am a mental health worker, I also you know got a busy life and um, and I've been a practicing Buddhist, practicing meditation for six years um, with a centre and um, for about 20 years before that, um, but having to do it on my own most of the time because of where I lived, so that's me really.
0: And Amalipa Sorry, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself
2: and sort of um, what you do? Hi, hello everybody. Uh, my name's Amala Deepa and and um, I work uh, full-time for the probation service. Um, I've had Corda Equina twice, um, so I had it in 2009 and I had it again in 2014. The second episode um, was in many ways much more serious and has left me with... Uh, partial paralysis um, below the waist um, and the range of problems that I'm sure we're all familiar with Mm Um, I've been a practicing Buddhist for 28 years and I don't I don't work um, with teaching mindfulness in the way that Vidyamala does so I'm gonna let Vidya Mala talk much more about her, her pioneering work in this field. All I wanted to say really was that um, if it hadn't been for being able to meditate I don't know that I would have been able to manage my condition psychologically but physically as well as i have and also it's enabled me meditation has enabled me to carry on working and doing the job that i love so there's a there's a huge place for it for people who've experienced corda equina oh
0: brilliant thank you and vidya marla do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and also about the work the breath works does and how you set it up all those years ago
3: yes lovely to be here with you all and uh, my name is vidya Mala, and i've got a complex spinal condition that includes corda equina. I've had three major surgeries and I've got mobility problems and the usual bowel and bladder issues that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Um, And I actually learned to meditate in 1985, so that's 35 years ago. And I was taught by a hospital chaplain um, in New Zealand, which was quite remarkable. I was was in a very uh, rough state in an intensive care ward. And um, I was fortunate enough to be taught some mind mind training skills, some mental skills by the chaplain. And then about 20 years ago, I founded Breathworks, which is an organization offering mindfulness and compassion training, um, primarily to people with chronic health conditions of any sort. But we've also adapted that to to people living with stress, people in the workplace, that kind of thing. And I'm I'm very passionate about the role of mind training, um, helping us manage physical difficulties because obviously even if the impairment is physical then the mind gets up to trickiness in relation to the impairment and if we can I often say it's getting the mind working with us rather than against us then that can be tremendously empowering and uh, yeah, so breath works we've now got teachers in 35 countries and um, we just get very, very good anecdotal and also evidence based feedback of the benefits of, of meditation mindfulness to help us deal with difficulty.
0: Oh lovely. can't wait to hear about them. Um Vicky, do you want to just have a quick introduction to yourself? Um, how you've had Cord and what you do with us? Yeah, so my name's Vicky. I had Code Requiner
4: back in May of last year, so quite new I suppose to everybody else, but I felt after I was diagnosed, I f- I'm a nurse and I felt like my I'd lost everything really. I didn't know where to go, I didn't know how I was going to cope and luckily somebody put me in touch with the Code Requiner charity and I knew that I didn't want anyone to feel how I felt after I was diagnosed, so that's how I became involved and I've sort of pestered clear really to let me help a little bit more because it's so important to me that we
0: reach as many people that we can that really need that support. Yeah, yeah brilliant. And I think it's amazing, actually, we've all connected just through fate, and we've all had Corder quine Syndrome. It's, it's it's just bizarre to me when it's meant to be such a rare condition. Um, so I don't know. I'd love to know um, perhaps about meditation, Um with regards to pain, um, pain management, and also um, sort of sleep, helping with sleep, because a lot of our patients, as you're probably well aware, spend a lot of hours awake at night. And then just generally about empowering people so that they have the tools to sort of manage and cope under stress and things. So I I think it's probably more for you guys to just tell us um, what you think we need to know as sort of people learning about it. Anybody? <laughs> um, do you want to start with you Marla?
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, I think the main thing is in, in terms of people learning about mindfulness and meditation is it doesn't need to be complicated and to keep it simple. And obviously those of us living with pain and fatigue, things that are conceptually complicated, we just give up on, I do anyway. And mindfulness and meditation can be very, very simple. It's about being present, knowing what's actually happening in your experience, which often means, um, you know, often we're very lost in our thoughts and emotions about our experience, rather than knowing, well, what is actually happening? What are the actual sensations in my body? So it's coming closer and examining what's what's really going on, which is very often not as bad as, um, the kind of mixture of the painful sensations plus all the mental and, and emotional reactions to those sensations. So we do things like a body scan practice, which may seem paradoxical because what we're being invited to do is to come into contact with the body. And of course, if you've got pain, that's the last place you want to be. But by coming in, into contact with the body in a very gentle and relaxing way, doing a body scan, which is where you lie down, if that's comfortable, and you take your awareness through the body, then we're able to come into a relationship with the body in a more um sort of friendly way because if we keep on trying to avoid the body and run away from the body we just get loads of tension because whether we like it or not we have got a body even if the body's hurting we have to come into relationship with it because it's part of who we are so it's learning to be present to what's happening and then at breath we use a model of primary and secondary suffering So it's learning to unpack our experience. That can just be a whole kind of um, ball of distress. It's learning to unpack that into what's a given in the moment, which is the direct sensations in the body. Even if we've got loss of sensation, there'll still be some kind of awareness of that area of the body and probably uh, aspects of tension. So that's the primary. And then the secondary is secondary tension in the body, um, the mental states that we've got going on that might be fear, anxiety, worry, and then the emotional states that can either be on the sort of agitated end of anxiety or the more kind of low energy end of depression. We ever only have the pain in this moment, but of course, a lot of our anxiety and fear as we're projecting into the future. Oh my God, you know, this is gonna go on forever. How will I ever cope? Or we've got issues to do with the past remembering maybe before we had the, um, the quarter Aquina and then the feelings of grief and loss. Totally understandable. But really the only moment that we can live our lives is right now. And usually the present moment is, usually it's bearable. And it's all the projecting into the future and reaching into the past that makes it unbearable. So it's being present and then dividing into primary and secondary reducing or overcoming the secondary and accepting the primary.
0: I can absolutely relate to that. I was, I've just been moving this weekend and um, the whole move the physical exertion and moving, my pain has been amplified so much. It took me by surprise, really. And then the other thing was I came across a card that my daughter wrote to me when I was in hospital 10 years ago, which was actually to the day bizarrely that I had the operation. And it took me right back to being that person, that different person that I am now. And I found that really hard. Oh so, yeah, everything you just said, I can relate to everything you've just said that. And sort of think, yeah, that, yeah, I react that way. And it would be nice, it would be good to have something to sort of, to step away from life and reset yourself, really. That's how I see it
3: that's good yeah it is like a reset sometimes when we're completely lost and well you know with our computers when they when they start running really slow or they get all jammed up we just turn it off and turn it on again (laughs) and i think something like a body scan is a bit like a reset we're all agitated and stressed and exhausted just lie down come into the body breathe rest and the nervous system also gets rebalanced but I think it would like, it'd be good to hear from Amla Deep, who's also just moved house, I know that. So how, <laughs> di, how did sort of awareness help you cope with the stress of moving, awareness training?
2: I think that there was, um, I think what I had to recognise is that when I overexert myself, um, and when I'm really willful with my body, because I still haven't quite caught up with the fact that I have the limitations that I have, that, that, is, uh, that has a massive impact on other people in my life. So there were, there were times during the whole build up to the move when I was still trying to kind of bargain and do the stuff I would have done in the past. And then my pain levels went through the roof, I couldn't cope. That meant that the people that lived with me had to care for me more than they would normally. And I think so. I think there's something there about the discipline of realizing that I'm connected with other people, and when I when I don't take care of myself, um, and when I lose mindfulness of my of my choices and the way those choices affect my body, that in a way I'm taking from people that I that I love and that love me, and I'm not doing that with their choice. Um, so it's there. There is an element of mindfulness which is about trying to have a bit more self-discipline. Um, and catch up with where I am now and tune in with where I am now and make choices based on that rather than what I want or what I've lost. And I think that's been really important for me. Mm.
0: I mean, I'm feeling quite emotional listening to this. It's really stirring some feelings up. It's, how do you feel, Vicky? You're feeling.
4: Yeah, I quite often say that we get, I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle of grief where I'm trying to grieve for my old life and just pick myself up and pick up my new life so it's really it's just trying to find a way isn't it to process that break it down and like you say live in the moment and deal with what's happening in that moment rather than what happened last year or what's going to happen next year i think that's a really good tool to have for you and you can apply it to anything
1: in life then once you've learned that skill
3: so how about you kerry with what we're talking about
1: i think you know like you claire um i listening to other people um other women who have had the similar experiences to me we've all got equina. I it's taking me back as well and it's quite interesting um the way I deal with things now you know the way I dealt with things when I first had corduquina and I've had four major backups and so when I first had corduquina I just steamrolled on I pushed I battled I was in so much pain I had two small children at the time my son was four and my daughter was six Um, and I just pushed on and you know as Amaladeepa says you, you can see the impact of that on the people around you and it's not good it's it's it and that can be a cause of secondary suffering as well which just goes round in a circle because people are reacting to you reacting to your um your corduquina your pain your anxiety and we're all reacting and we're all going round and round and round and Something's got to stop. Something's got to give. And like Vijimala, I actually. So my, I'm social work trained. My practice was in the same hospital that I then got admitted to. So I had made connections with um, uh, the, the, cler- the, the, the the man, the clergy, or um, he's a canon actually. So. Um, the hospital chaplain i'd as part of my practice i had gone along because i was working with people who were um, coming to the ends of their lives so i went and saw him and he when i went into hospital was the one that sat with me and basically taught me how to just leave what i can't change right now leave that on one side and it was extremely difficult because it's not just we're not just a physical being and we're not just an emotional being or a a cognitive being we that's us that's our entirety we you know and it all feeds into each other so just stopping um, and just dealing with what you can deal with at that time and that can be if you you know, when I was in a lot of pain, that was just trying to deal with the pain and breathing, being really focused on my breathing. Once I'd calmed the breathing down, then the anxiety started to subside. So, and you know, for me, I was in hospital for three months and my children were staying with friends. Um, and it, was extremely difficult so there, you know there's always that that thing of physically this is happening and I need to do you know I need to lie down or I need but actually there's also this emotional stuff that's going on that I need to take care of and it's that balancing act of how you do that because the thing that I realized and it took me 20 years to realise that. So I had my injury, first injury, 1990, um, and it, 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 I'm still working on it, you know? I'm still working on those issues. Um, but I have noticed the last six years of just, when things get so bad, <laughs> stopping, stopping, and doing that reboot stopping and let letting my mind catch up with where I actually am what's actually happening not what's happening in my head about what I'm going to do next year or how am I ever going to survive or how am I going to meet my children's needs it's about going okay so right now I need to meet my own needs because if I don't I can't do anything for anybody else and that was sort of quite a um a turning point for me and you know there, there's a buddhist saying it's the first arrow is the one you know you don't have a, you don't need the second arrow to go yeah i'm hurting i'm hurting You, it's um you don't need to add to the pain it's um you are gonna have to edit this claire um we have somebody to do that yeah I'm rambling now, so um, um, not at all. But yeah, it's just about dealing with what is right now. Um, and you know, as I said to you, my my daughter's in hospital at the moment, and um, and basically, you know, I'm right now. I can't do anything about that. What I can do is is to focus on reserving my energies and dealing with you know with talking to you so that's where my focus is um and and that paying attention to what's actually happening around us you know whether that's the fact that my puppy is now wagging its tail or whether that's a beautiful flower or what it whatever it is or you know, so that's the external stuff that I pay attention to, but I also pay attention to the internal stuff that's going on. Mm. Being more curious about my pain sometimes, just, you know, that curiosity I've, I've learned. So, um,
0: so if, I know. no, <laughs> um, if you, if you had a, a really bad day where you're feeling a lot of pain. Would you meditate before you went perhaps for pain relief for medication? Would you actually, do you use it as a sort of a way of controlling pain or is it to cope with the pain? Is it an alternative
1: at all to pain medication or is it a It. So for me I use pain medication when my pain gets to a certain level but actually way before that I'm just, I've gone into um, being very present and very still there's a stillness there so quite often i don't need that medication whereas before i would have just reached for the medication and you know it's it's not great because the in the bladder become you know so my bowels and bladder are all over the place so you know it, to, to not use medication unless I absolutely need to is what I'm after, really.
0: I think I've noticed
1: when my bowels are playing up or passive,
0: I've, I've not been managing them as well as I should do, or as routinely as I should do, I can feel the tension, I get really angry inside. It's like a build-up, it's awful. Uh, mm. So i I'm, I'm become more self-aware of that. But I think when you said about your families and the impact on other people, until I've actually listened to you speak today, I've always felt powerless about that. I've been aware of it and that it impacts people, but I thought, how on earth can I change it? So I can see benefits to myself of just actually thinking, being more aware of that and perhaps changing my behaviour a little bit, or looking at myself more, so that that's really interesting to me because that, that, that gets me down, thinking I can't change the impact. Um, oh,
3: perhaps I, can. I think one of the one of the things about mindfulness and meditation is, it does give us it does give one a tremendous sense of agency, because we realise we can actually always, even even if it's breathing out, you, there's always something you can do to sort of deescalate a situation. So it's very very empowering. That's been my experience. Um, I think it's also important to say for almost everyone I know, myself included, it's not like we're beautifully present all the time. It's more like we're getting better, you get better and better at catching yourself when you're not present or catching yourself when you're wound up catching yourself when you're touchy with other people. And then it's okay, what can I do right now to de-escalate this? And often it might be as simple as noticing, oh my God, I'm really holding my breath. Because when I get agitated, I always hold my breath. Everybody holds their breath. And then... We've got this lovely saying, when in doubt, breathe out. You know, even if you can't do anything else, you can breathe out. And yeah. that also, and that brings online the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system, which is the calming wing of the nervous system. And that's a very simple thing, but, but that can be massively effective.
0: Wow.
3: Yeah. So when in doubt, breathe out.
0: I can, I can remember that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and can I just comment on the medication issue because I think this is quite important um I do take medication and if, if my pain's really out of control I can't work with my mind so for me the issue is what's the amount of medication I need in order to um give me some agility in working with my mind yeah so I'm I take a lot less medication than I used to I probably take a lot less medication than somebody with somebody else with my condition might take. But what I find works best is to take medication regularly. So I'm not kind of watching the pain thinking, oh, should I take some drugs now or not? So yeah. I take gabapentin, which is a nerve pain because I get really awful nerve pains in my legs, really intolerable, actually. So I take gabapentin, you know, morning, noon, evening, quite a low dose. Um, and that just keeps it all under control, and I can, I can work with my mind. So I think sometimes people think that meditation or, ma- or mindfulness is a substitute for medication. And if you take drugs, somehow you're failing. Whereas I always say it's a complement to yeah. medication, that medication's got a place, a definite place to play for those of us living with chronic pain. You know,
0: that's a really important thing. Yeah. yeah I,
3: I can see Amala deeper nodding as well. So do you want to how do you deal with medication Amala deeper?
2: I think I really I really recognize that 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 false view that somehow you can, you know, the, that it's a failure if I've, had, you know, in the past, but actually I think um, in terms of the work that you do Vidyamala, there's a really important wing of the work that you do that's around self-compassion and for me, um, being able to take medication when I'm really suffering is an is an act of self-compassion and, and I'm started to see it more along the lines of like you know I use crutches and a wheelchair because I need those in order to be able to be as effective in the areas of my life where I want to be effective and if I need to take you know if I'm in a really bad way and I need to take diazepam to stop the muscle spasms and zone zone out and that's what I need to do in order to be able to be more effective tomorrow. So I'm really glad that you highlighted that there can be a tendency to tough it out. And really when you're toughing it out, you're not being very kind to yourself. Um, so I also take medication and I think it's, it's part of it's it's well, it's really a of managing my life more
0: effectively. Quite a journey with that. Vicky, Vicky do you, are you taking much medication at the moment? So? Um, for me, it was finding a balance of
4: the medication I needed to get through, but also that I could still function because I know a lot of the medication we take for our nerve pain can have a negative impact on our, our ability to function, our concentration, even word finding. So I think it's so, so important just to try and get that balance. So I do see that both, both
0: of these could work together other.
4: Hmm.
0: Okay, so I'll, I think Jamal if we just talk about the courses because I know you do a a set of courses for people don't you and so people can access your website for a small amount every month or there's a, a set of courses if they think that it's for them that we could actually provide for people as a charity so I don't know if you could explain a little bit about that would that be okay
3: yeah I'd love to yeah so obviously at breathworks we're really committed to helping people with chronic pain disability and so on to learn the skills that we're talking about today. And um, on the main Breathworks website, which is breathworks-mindfulness.org.uk, we've got Mindfulness for Health courses. And that's it's an eight-week program that's specifically aimed at people with health conditions. And you can access that in a number of different ways. You can simply read my book. That's the easiest, simplest way of doing it. It's called Mindfulness for Health. I wrote it with Danny Penman. And that's an eight-week program with accompanying uh, audio. So that's the simplest thing. And then we've also got online eight-week programs that you can do, which is where you're mentored through the whole course. And you're also meeting other people in the same situation. So of course, there's that sense of community and learning from others who are also struggling with the same issues. and as we're maybe all experiencing even today we've got five of us here today and there is that sense of recognition and bouncing off each other and that's really helpful um and then we've recently launched something called a community of practice which is i started saying it's face it's Facebook without facebook <laughs> so it's kind of our own um social media community it's really wonderful and on there, there's a 10-day course um, called Methods for Living with Pain and Illness, which is also a really good introduction. It's 15 minutes a day, and it's all audio, and about seven minutes is me introducing a theme, and then seven minutes as a guided meditation. And you can join our community of practice for about £6 a month. And then you've also got access to all the other courses, the community, um, i like Within that, we've got a little, a little mini community of people who are living with long-term health conditions and you can interact with others and give advice to each, others, to each other and so on. So, you know, there's a number of different ways you can access it, um, but I think either the Mindfulness for Health book, Mindfulness for Health course, or the Methods for Living with Pain and Illness on the Community of Practice. Um, and if you go to our website, there's a Community of Practice tab at the top where you can find out how to join that first month's free so that's good you can check it out um before you have to join
0: oh great stuff it's great um have you got any other questions vicky no i don't think so it's really interesting i'm really yeah, really interested in that yeah um i just i just can't wait to get started i want to try it <laughs>
3: <laughs> fantastic
0: yeah um like thing,
1: are, yeah. Sorry, Kerry. I think the thing for me that makes this really useful and accessible is, as Vijay Mala said, it's not a replacement for for medication. I take medication morning and night, um, and but it it's it's something that you can access. You know that I access anywhere at any time that I need to. So even if it's if it's not about physical pain, it's about emotional pain or anxiety, actually that very thing of just breathing. And we've always got our breath with us. Mm. You know, it's, it's that thing of being able, and being able to help ourselves as well. And not, you know, that, that has meant so much to me um, because I'm not waiting for something to happen to me. I have, I have some control. I can't control what, you know, I can't control whether my pain is going to be there or not. It's, it's there, and sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's not. Um, But what I can do is to control how I feel about that pain. Um, And just knowing that gives me a tremendous comfort. So even whilst we've been talking, you know, I am, yes, I'm adjusting my position, but I'm also being calm and just going. Okay, I know. I know that that sciatic pain is there. I know that, and um, but I'm. You know, you're there, but I don't have to have my whole mind occupied by it. I can do other things as well. You know, by just acknowledging that it's there, by just not pretending. You know that. That pretense that everything's all right, and you know, and we're not really in pain, or whatever else we do, just that takes so much energy. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's just that calmness, I, and it's just so useful in every area of my life hmm. to be calm. Um, we,
0: we had some really exciting news last week. One of the consultants at uh, one of the spinal units asked us to go up on a fortnightly basis to meet newly diagnosed chord requirement patients. So it would be lovely to say to them, when somebody's early diagnosed, before they go through all the stress, and you know, get to give them the tools then if they wanted to try it as early as possible and, yeah. you know, so I'm really, I'm really excited about that.
3: That's amazing. But have it little yeah.
0: toolkit and say, look, we can offer you this and this is fantastic and to measure outcomes will be amazing from that as well. So. Yeah. We're very excited about that. Can't wait to get going. It might also I don't you probably
2: already plugged into this Claire, but I think I think making Marla's work um, more accessible in these spinal injuries units is really important um, because so many people spend quite a bit of time there not everyone who's had CES goes to a spinal injuries unit but but those that do I think would really benefit and I think generally spinally injured, spinally injured people can't help but benefit from from breath work so so I think there's also a bit of work there around flagging that
0: yeah and I mean the spinal units now are sort of setting out the care pathways for the general hospitals so they sort of set the example so if we can get this smoothed out of that they'll, they'll sort of fall, hopefully fall in follow and people become more aware of it and perhaps, you know, um, pulse more patients our way, just simply if not for anything else just for that service.
3: Yeah and we've actually got a bit of an evidence base as well for mindfulness and spinal cord injured patients. We've done a research trial with the university so i, I know I,
0: mean, I mentioned it to the consultant there um yes. the rehabilitation. it was really really yeah why not let's go so mm. it was all good um i think i think we've really covered it haven't we ladies do you think so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I Ma- just wanna...
3: maybe there's just one can i just say sure. one other yeah. thing but because i've obviously been doing this work for a long time and Um, you know, teaching meditation, really believe in it. But what I've come to realize over the years is that meditation on its own is not enough. It's meditation as the sort of foundation of a whole lifestyle um, um, balance. And so I've I've come up with this acronym called HEALS, H-E-A-L-S. And so the H is healthy eating. Yeah. Because diet is also really important, you know, what we put into our bodies. And I don't advocate any special diet, but just, you know, eat three meals a day and eat a balanced diet as possible. And then E is exercise, because bodies need to move. And even if you've got corduroquina, make the most of what you've got in terms of stretching, strengthening, and stamina, the three S's. Yeah. A is awareness and A is the cornerstone. So mindfulness is the quality, as Amla Deepa said earlier earlier on, um, mindfulness gives us the ability to make choices, wise choices. So you can make wise choices around your eating, wise choices around your exercise. Um, And then the L and the acronym is love. So this is the importance of loving ourselves and loving others and relatedness. And again, we've talked about that today. being kind to ourselves, but also realizing the impact we're having on others and how can we make that as benevolent and benign as possible. And then s and the heels acronym is sleep. So this is sleep hygiene, you know going to, going to bed at roughly the same time if you can, getting off your digital devices um, well before you go to bed, um having some discipline around your sleep practice, sleep hygiene. And so that's what I've come to see that mindfulness is excellent but it's this kind of um, cornerstone of also looking at these other domains of life. Because if if you're meditating and you've got a really rubbish diet, you're not getting any exercise, you're not valuing your relationships and you're staying up all night watching Netflix, then your ability to cope with your life is not going to be nearly as good as if you're meditating and you're also looking at your diet, your exercise, your relationships and your sleep.
0: Oh, that's brilliant, yeah. I can, well, I used to exercise. I've wet that (laughs) slide. My healthy eating's gone out the window. (laughs) I am aware of what I need to do. Yeah, the impact on my family. I'm definitely taking that one away with me. And my sleeping has been awful
3: this last (laughs) week. So, So, So what's really exciting there, Claire, is you've got all this, you've got this big adventure of yeah, exactly. coming into awareness in these domains and improving them with good humour and patience. It's,
0: yeah and I appreciate we we appreciate your held don't we Vicky? It's fantastic. Yeah. come along today and helped us. It's brilliant. And we're really excited about what, what's going to happen next as well. It's all good stuff.
3: I mean well, It's wonderful what you're doing. Really wonderful what you're doing. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. On, on October the first is our first National Awareness Day for Coronel Windows Syndrome. And I don't know if you guys are busy or not, but we're having um a large group meeting a virtual Zoom meeting so we'll have it have lots of people recording in the group on Zoom hopefully with perhaps some guest speakers perhaps like yourselves we're trying to get Duncan James to come along for a little bit we've got medical people talk about bottom bowels and stuff no obligation if you want to take part by all means I'll send you an invitation you can hop on for half an hour or whatever yeah. uh, but we're doing that from our Facebook support group and we're hoping for quite a lot quite a big uptake from that
3: Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Well,
0: thank you very much. It's
2: been lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks,
1: thanks, Kerry. Uh, just to say, you know, I, I really can't thank you enough for actually getting as far as you have with something that, when I had called the quiner in 1990, I was told it was in my head. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so um, and it took me it took me years to get a diagnosis Um, so for for this organization to exist I think is just wonderful because I don't want anybody else to be told that if they really want do because it's in their heads. So, just knowing that this organization exists, knowing the work that you're doing with medics, um, I just, yeah, it's really, really good. So, thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. I think um, we have a helpline as well that we run, but I think the most distressing phone calls are taken from people who've had it for 20 years, who weren't diagnosed, and they've been told just exactly what you said it's in your head, go away. It's function, functional neurological disorder or whatever. And, you know, the, they're the people who, are, if they don't cope very well with it, they, it has a massive impact on the mental health and stuff. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for those comments. And thank you, ladies. Thanks, Amadeepa, Ridia Marla.
3: Pleasure. Thank very much. Lovely to meet you.
0: Oh, and I'll wrap that up. All right. Thank you. Thanks for Bye-bye. taking part. Bye. 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 Thank you.